This morning we are going to be jumping into a two-week, or maybe call it two-and-a-half-week little mini-series for Advent. We're going to be looking at some angel visitations this week, next week, and on Christmas Eve. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at the angel that comes and visits Mary, Gabriel. Next week we'll look at the angel coming to visit Joseph, and then on Christmas Eve we'll look at the angels coming to visit the shepherds. So that's how we're going to spend the next handful of Sundays, and I guess that's a Thursday evening together as well. Uh, Before I pray for us and and read our text for us, uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning is about the promised king. Uh, That's one that when the angel Gabriel talks to Mary, he's talking to her about the coming king. And it got me thinking about, uh, you may have read articles about this, or maybe you were part of the statistics. Uh, There's a growing uh, interest in America with the UK royals. We just, we seem a little obsessed with the royal family. Uh, Back in 2000, was it 2011 when William and Kate got married? Yes, 2011, William and Kate got married on television, and there were 23 million U.S. viewers of that wedding. There are only 25 million viewers in the UK, and it was, it was their royal family, right? Now, I realize, like, per capita, they still crushed it, but that, that's how it should be, right? 23 million, though. Then in 2018, when Harry and Meghan got married, now this is to be expected a little bit because this is an American girl marrying into the royal family, but actually, uh, the, those in the UK were less interested. There were only 18 million viewers of that wedding, But in the U.S., there were 29 million viewers of that wedding. Like, for whatever reason, we are fascinated with the royal family. But then if you you push us a little bit, we're like, yes, we love that they have the royal family. We we don't actually want the royal family. We don't actually want a king, right? When when we think back on it, back in 1783, we're we're still pretty happy with that outcome, right? We're we're not looking to, to reverse that but we're fascinated with, with their royal family. And what I want us to see this morning is uh, the fact that we don't want a king, even though we're interested in maybe some royal families, that could pose a problem for us at Advent because Advent is, is very much about longing for a king, longing for a king in your personal life, in your personal experience, wanting that king to rule in your life. And so if we're anti-king, even if we're pro-gossip about the royal family, going to set us up to not really long for what Mary and Joseph and so many others were longing for when the angels came to them. So let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We pray that you will help us be good students of this word, of this story, this historical account of Gabriel coming and having a conversation with Mary as you were sending your son uh, to be our king. So we pray that you'll help us to be good students of this word and be shaped by it. Spirit, do that work in us, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're looking first at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. You've got it printed in your worship folder there for you. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read for us. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, 
You'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So as Gabriel shares with Mary, he tells her to not be afraid. He tells her she's going to conceive and bear a son, and the son's going to be the promised king. That's the conversation that he has. And the conversation goes on, if you remember in the story, because Mary's like, well, I'm not sure how that could possibly happen. And what Gabriel shares with her is the Holy Spirit's actually going to bring about that conception. But what I want us to focus on this morning is this first part of the conversation between Mary and Gabriel, this promise of a king. And I think if we look at verses 28 through 29, it makes sense to us that Mary's initial reaction uh, is actually fear and concern. Right? It, it makes sense when an angel shows up to tell you something, anything, that's probably going to shake you a little bit. But then on top of that, I hope you understand, I, I don't think that there are all these young Jewish girls who are like, maybe I'm the one. Maybe I'm the one who's going to give birth to the promised one. No, the same reason that the wise men went to the palace is that these girls didn't expect to give birth to a king. They assumed the king was going to be born by someone in the line that's sitting in the palace. And so this was not an expected message. Mary was longing for a king, but she never anticipated that she would be the mother of that king. But she's told here that this baby will be a son. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the most holy. He's going to be given the throne of David, his ancestor, and his is going to be a forever reign over a forever, forever kingdom. That's what we see in verses 31 through 33. And what we have here is Gabriel telling Mary, your son who you're about, who's, you're about to conceive and then give birth to, is going to be the fulfillment of the promise made to David generations ago. A promise made back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. This is God talking to David. He says, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And what I want us to see here is we have to put ourselves in, into the mindset, into the place of this young Jewish girl to understand the impact of this message that's being shared with her. Because she's been taught from her birth that she's supposed to long for the promised one. She's supposed to long for the promised king. And this is how it's different between us and the royal family. We are interested in what's happening in the royal family, but for the Jewish boys and girls being raised up generation after generation, they weren't just supposed to be interested in the royal family. They were supposed to long for the return of that kingship, the return of the world in which a man after God's own heart is their king once again. So it wasn't just interest, it was a core desire that they were raised to embrace. And that was because the promise to David was a promise to all of God's people. Because the kingship of David, it held this place of prefigurement and hope. Remember the good old days when David was king. God promised that that will come again. All of God's people wanted life with a king like David. They didn't want life independent of a king. They wanted life with a good king, with a king who would lead them to flourish. And so it's a promise to all of God's people. And so when Gabriel shares the news with Mary that she's going to give birth to that promised king, he was speaking to her own longings and the longings of every man and woman who had been raised to long for that fulfillment, for there to be a king again after God's own heart, a king who would care so much for the people that his rule would be for their best, even at his own expense. 
That's what they're supposed to be longing for. And now Mary's being told, that's who you're going to give birth to. So with the rest of our time this morning, I want us to consider longing for a promised king. And I want to talk first about the fact that you and I struggle to long for a king. And there's, there's some reasons why we struggle to long for a king. And we want to talk about those. And then I want to talk just a few minutes about how we can grow to long and to look to that king. How our response can become more and more like the response of Mary and Joseph and then Anna and I don't remember the name of the man who was at the temple when Jesus was dropped off. It'll come to me probably in about 45 minutes. But like those men and women, to long for the king to be brought once again to the throne. So let's talk first about why we don't long for or look to a king. And we've got some, some reasons. I just want to highlight a few. I think for us uniquely, uh, given where we are and, and our own history as a nation and culture, uh, culturally, uh, we, we have a cultural paradigm that doesn't really allow for longing for a king. Right? We, we are raised to be independent we are raised uh, to be those who want to be powerful and to have power ourselves. We are raised to want our voice to be the dominant voice, to be the primary voice, the voice of the most importance. Like we are raised to embrace independence and individuality and individualism over everything else. And there is no paradigm in which longing for a king to rule over you and to guide you and to lead you is also synonymous with you being your own king who guides and leads yourself. They're mutually exclusive. And so culturally, we struggle with this. I mean, when, we, when I think about my own political philosophy, like my political philosophy, which I'm not going to delve too far into, but my political philosophy uh, puts a lot of importance on personal rights and personal power. And I feel like, generally speaking, that serves all of us incredibly well. Otherwise, I would abandon that political policy, uh, uh, that political philosophy and embrace another one. But I know that for me personally, that means that my autonomy oftentimes trumps the desire to have someone lead me and to entrust myself to someone else. And so I struggle with this personally. But it's not just our cultural paradigm that makes this challenging. We also just have sinful nature, natures and personal pride. Right? We, have, we have this desire that says, listen, I I know who I am, and I know I don't want a king, or I want to be the king. Those two things are going on inside of us. Like, I don't want a king, or maybe you could say it this way. I, I want to be the king because when someone else is the king, then they get to decide what restrictions I'll live under. They get to decide what I can and cannot do and what I will and will not enjoy, and I don't want those restrictions. I struggle with that. But I have a real deep struggle with not wanting a king because I just don't want to depend on anybody. I am fiercely independent to the point that it's like a, it's a spiritual flaw of mine. I'm just going to give you one story. So my, uh, my in-laws live in uh, central Georgia, and ever since I have been in the family, I think it's preceded me probably for generations maybe, I don't know, but there's this, uh, there's this tradition. Anytime an out-of-town guest arrives to stay at my in-law's house, all the men and most of the women as well stop what they're doing they come outside, there's a lot of hugging that happens, and then everybody helps to unload the car and take all the luggage and all the stuff in. And I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And it's not because there's anything wrong with what they're doing. It's like, I don't want them to help me. Like, I don't want them to see how many Kroger bags we're bringing things in. Like, I don't want them to see that. 
Like, I don't want to feel like I moved in for a week when we're only staying for three days or moved in for a month and only staying for three days. Like, I'm independent and prideful and I want to touch my own stuff and take my own stuff and bring my own stuff back. I much prefer the process of leaving because I do it quietly when no one's watching. I load the car up. But unloading the car just shows this flaw where I, like, I, I will tell people, like, I will tell my father-in-law, oh, I've got the rest of it. And he'll just look at me because he's like, there is absolutely no way that you can carry all of those things in one trip up a flight of stairs. And so he helps me anyway. That's a personal thing that I've got going on. But because of that, it means that the thought of longing for a king says, hey, I know that I can't be that independent. I know that I need help. I know I have needs that I can't meet myself. And that makes me incredibly uncomfortable. So longing for a king exposes that in my own heart. And then another uh, maybe reason that we should highlight is sometimes like we're not even thinking about how life could be better if we had a king. We are so deep in the weeds that we can't imagine that there's a better way. So it's not that we're against having a king, it's that we are on life support. We are struggling. And because we're struggling, we're not thinking beyond whatever's right in front of us. So it could be for us in parenting, or it could be relationships between adult children, or it could be uh, trying to finish school, or it could be our vocation. It could be any number of things. Like we're so in the weeds in those area, areas that we don't actually zoom out and consider that there may be a better way. All we're trying to do is survive. And so when we get into that, you know, we maybe, maybe it started because we were, you're like me and you're fiercely independent, but you gave that up a long time ago. You're just trying to tread water now. But either way, the boat is taking on water, and you and I are so busy trying to keep everything afloat that we don't stop and see that there is actually a way that we could more than survive. We could actually flourish, that we could actually thrive. And so we don't see it because we're so busy looking at what we think we need to do to not drown. And so as we think about sort of that struggle that we have, and we, we look around our life and we realize like whether it's in parenting or whether it's school or whether it's in our job, we don't see ourselves thriving in those areas. Um, we, we go into that survival mode and actually it doesn't take long till actually the longings in our hearts, they're not for a king. They're just to make it to bedtime. I just long to get to bedtime. I just long to get to graduation. I just long to get to the end of the fiscal year. I just long for, we long for things. But when we're in survival mode, we're not longing for a king. We're just longing for survival. And Jesus is calling us into a better way. And then lastly, one of the reasons uh, that we struggle to long for a king is that we don't appreciate who the king is and how good it is when he's on the throne. We just don't appreciate it. And that's what we're going to spend the bulk of the rest of our time talking about is how can we grow in that appreciation because as we think about it, we're promised this king, and then Advent is about the coming of that king into time and space. And if, if our Savior, if our Jesus is not a king as well as a Savior, if he's a Savior, which he is, and we're going to talk about that next week, that's great news for after this life. But his kingship is great news during this life and beyond. And so the hope of Advent, not just for the future, but for the present, is very much grounded in the fact that our king leads us and rules us and cares for us now. So how can we grow to long for and look to our king more and more? Well, one of the primary ways is we just have to reflect on and appreciate who he is and what his rule can actually mean for us, what our life can look like with him on the throne. 
And, we, and we'll, we'll acknowledge the fact that you and I are not Mary. We're not Joseph. We're not uh, from families more than likely that have grown up being reminded of the promises of God in the Old Testament for a coming Messiah. Promises like we find in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And so I want us to go like Mary and Joseph would have and, and be reminded of who are you longing for? You're longing for this type of son, for this type of king. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time right now. If you look on your worship folder, I've got Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 printed for you there. And I just want us to walk through this text together. When we look at verse, uh, verse 6, we're told, For to us a child is born, a son is given. Right? Mary, you're going to have a child. It's going to be a son. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. What does that mean that this king will have the government on his shoulders? These are, this is a promise to God's people that the weight in the affairs of the people, the needs of the people, the flourishing of God's people, God's going to take that and he's going to put it on the shoulders of the king, meaning that you and I don't have to carry it. And so for you and for me this morning, do you realize that Jesus, what he offers you as your king is he will carry the load that is crushing you? whatever that load may be. So what in your life feels like it's just, it's too much for you to carry? What feels like it's too much responsibility? What feels like it's crushing you and you're afraid that if you let it go, it'll all fall apart? The government's on his shoulders. The government of your life is on his shoulders. The, the leading and the flourishing and the caring and the following, following up on all the loose ends, making sure all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed, that's on him. He calls you to give that to him. We're told he's also, his name's going to be Wonderful Counselor. And in the Hebrew, that means just exactly what you would think based off of the English. One who advises and helps another person process, plan, respond, succeed. Do you realize that the promise here is that your king is going to be your own Wonderful Counselor? That your king is going to want you individually to flourish He's going to want you and all of your choices and all of your life circumstances to flourish. You and I need wisdom. We need insight. We do, not, we do not rightly discern the things that happen in our lives, and we need that insight. And Jesus is the one who says, I will be for you that wonderful counselor. There's not a single one of us that doesn't need counseling. There's not a single one of us that doesn't need someone to help us step out of where we are, look at our lives, look at our relationships, and make healthier choices. And what we're told is our king is that, is that one. He will lead us in that way, coming alongside us individually. So I'd encourage you, be specific with Jesus. Be specific with him about the areas in which you know you need him to give you insight. Don't try and prove to him how much you don't need him. Lean into the fact that one of his roles in your life is to be your wonderful counselor. We're told we're gonna be, he will be called our mighty God. The word mighty, uh, it shows up in the Hebrew um, for Nimrod. You guys remember Nimrod, the mighty hunter? It's the same word. It's also the word used for David's mighty men. So what are, what are the people of God being told? They're being told, you remember how David had mighty men who fought his battles and cared for him and, and came alongside him and made his best their goal and leveraged themselves for him. Your God does that for you. Your king will no longer use you as his mighty man. He will be the mighty man for you. He'll be the one who leverages himself for you. And you and I know that there are areas in our life where we know that we are not mighty enough. And we need to trust that he is and trust him in that process. We're told he's going to be our everlasting father. 
a father who will never reject us, but also a father who will never leave us. Over the last year or so, Luke Combs has had this song. It's been on the radio, and at different times, it, it plays more regularly than other times, but it's called, Even Though I'm Leaving. I don't know if y'all know this song, but essentially it tracks a young boy uh, who, when he's young, he doesn't want his father to leave the bedroom because there's monsters in his bedroom that are going to come and they're going to get him. But then the story goes on. I'm not going to read the lyrics for you because I don't have time this morning, but the story goes on in the song and he's going off to war and his father can't go with him and he longs for his father to go with him. And then at the end, his father's dying and he longs for his father to stay. And it's this beautiful song about a boy who wants to have his father with him forever. And it's one of the reasons that song is so beautiful and resonates with so many is because that is a longing that we all have, that our father will be with us forever. And so you have here this promise that our king is a father who will be with us forever. I don't know what your experience was with your individual dad, but the promise here is meant to connect with the longing that you have, regardless of what your personal story with your own dad is. You were designed to have a father who will walk through your life with you, never leave you, never forsake you, never be gone from you. And that's the promise that you're given here. And lastly, Prince of Peace. We love that. If you've been a, a part of a church family long enough, you've probably heard about the word shalom. Uh, we all love shalom. I think if, if all of us Protestants spent more time talking about shalom, we would spend more time considering becoming Messianic Jews. I think so. Because we love the word shalom. We love how rich it is. This is what the word shalom, peace, means in the Hebrew. It means peace, prosperity, success, welfare, state of health, deliverance, salvation. That's a lot wrapped up in one word, shalom. And when you think about the year we've just had in 2020, that is a year in which, man, we would love some shalom. Shalom would be excellent. But isn't it interesting that we're told that, that our king will be the prince of shalom. He'll be the one who makes shalom a reality for his people, which means that what we're being promised is that what our God wants for us is for you and I to experience peace and prosperity and success and welfare and health and deliverance and salvation. And so he sends a king to accomplish it for us, to bring that experience to us. There's an ad right now that Match.com has going on. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, Match.com is like an online dating website. And the ad is uh, about a budding relationship between Satan and the year 2020. Like that's the basic premise of it. Uh, it was designed by Ryan Reynolds. It's actually quite quite hilarious in a very inappropriate kind of way. Uh, but the whole point of the ad is that this is a year in which we all feel like Satan has been, all, Satan has been having a heyday and we're tired of it. And the truth is, Satan has not been on the throne this year. Jesus has never not been on the throne. Jesus can bring us shalom in the midst of all circumstances. 2020 is no exception. The longing that we have for a king is a longing that, that we will have a king who will lead us into the experience of shalom. And that's the promise that's fulfilled in Jesus. Now, to close this morning, we know that Advent is the celebration of the birth of the king. And I want you and I to, to just take hold of this for just a moment, that if we're a follower of Jesus, then we are counted among those that God said, I'm going to send my own son so that you can experience 
an everlasting father. So you can experience a mighty God. So you can experience a wonderful counselor. So you can experience shalom. Because that's what he wants for us. He designed you and I to live a life where we don't bear the weight, we don't carry the weight of the world on our own shoulders. We flourish in a world where our king carries all that weight for us and leads us into flourishing. Advent is celebrating the fact that you and I were never designed to be the king. So this year we feel exhausted because nothing's gone our way. It's a good reminder. We have a king. Let's lean into our relationship with him. Jesus, thanks so much for this time to spend. We pray that you will help us uh, as your followers this morning to, to reflect on what kind of king you are. I thank you for that message that Gabriel brought to Mary that was recorded for us by Luke so that we could be reminded even this morning that when you showed up, you showed up as the promised king, that you were the one who was going to be better than David, that the flourishing that you bring into your people's lives is more holistic and more lasting than anything David could have ever hoped to achieve. We want to see you do that work in our hearts, and we know that we are uh, the biggest impediment ourselves to that. So, Spirit, we pray that you will enthrall our hearts with the kind of king that Jesus is and help us to look to him in all the decisions of our lives. We pray this in his name. Amen.